definitely know that every business, every person's on a different journey and you have to figure out yourself what resonates and what aligns. No one's going to give you the actual path. Companies always have to choose, no matter what size you are, do you build from scratch? You know, do you partner or do you do something in between? And I really think this future built around APIs and embedded products is so bright because it is such a better experience for the customer versus just lightweight integrations and, and referral relationships. Someone told me once a long time ago, we say the word SMB, which itself is an acronym for small and medium-sized business, but the reality is it's 3,000 sub-verticals or sub-markets. My dad was a high school teacher. My mom was an elementary school teacher. Uh, we were talking earlier, you know, my mom is an immigrant from Bolivia, came to the States, really created a whole new life for herself. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fintech Leaders, coming to you from New York City. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. And I'm a co-founder of Gilgamesh Ventures, a venture capital fund that backs early stage fintech entrepreneurs in the U.S., Canada, and Latin America. If you enjoyed this conversation, I invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows so more people can learn about fintech leaders. In this 100th fintech leaders episode, I thought I'd bring you someone extra special. I sat down with Josh Reeves, CEO and co-founder of Gusto, one of the largest HR and payroll companies in the U.S. focused on serving small and mid-sized businesses. In addition to HR, payroll, and benefits, Gusto is a strong player of embedded fintech solutions and recently announced a very large partnership with J.P. Morgan Chase. Founded in 2011, Gusto now serves over 300,000 businesses in the U.S., and in 2022, Gusto had revenues of more than $500 million. They are backed by General Catalyst, YC, Kleiner Perkins, Obvious Ventures, Felices, Rebit, Capital G, Altimeter, and one of the longest lists of great fintech investors I have ever seen. In this inspiring conversation, we discuss finding product market fit in the highly complex SMB sector and becoming a strategic partner for small businesses, lessons from building and launching Gusto's embedded fintech strategy, how Gusto built a structured and scalable hiring process, insights and learnings from the evolving role of CEO, and a lot more. Josh, welcome to Fintech Leaders. Excited that you are my guest for our 100th episode. So a special guest for a special episode. Oh, wow. Congrats. That's amazing. It's a really special milestone. Thank you. Thank you. Josh, we're going to talk about Gusto. We're going to talk about your origin story, your why, and all that. But I, I first want to start by tackling head on something that I've heard you you really have down to a formula, and that's Gusto's formula for growth, right? I mean, over the years, let's start with that. Like, how have you figured out, you know, what is the formula that works for you to grow and also like grow existing products, but also grow new ones that you keep launching and launching? 
Well, I would say we're still figuring it out. And even if we figure it out for one chapter, I really like the metaphor of company building being like chapters in a book. Then we have to keep learning and improving and adapting for the next chapter. So thank you for those kind words. It's definitely been a, a team effort. We got started back in 2011. We launched in 2012. And we are honored to serve over you know 300,000 businesses today, including your business. So yeah, if we have any uh, customers in the audience, please send us feedback. We're always trying to improve. But yeah, to the heart of your question, uh, I'd say, you know, customer acquisition, one of the, you know, many important topics in com- company building. And in our case, because we're serving small and medium-sized businesses, you know, I would probably oversimplify our, our acquisition motion as, you know, high volume, low touch, organic driven kind of GTM or go to market. And in terms of the business model, it's land and expand. We know that by serving small businesses, you have a certain percentage that will shut down. We hope to change that number and that percentage over time. But it means that actually having a broader partnership with the customer where as they navigate more pain points, we can solve more pain in their life. That means different products, a broader product portfolio is actually not just a way to solve more pain, but it's really important for the business model as well in terms of things like NDR, ACV expansion, et cetera, which I'm sure our topics will get into. And I want to go to a little bit of the beginning because it's no secret that Gusto found product market fit very quickly. And of course, everyone needs to get paid, but not every startup figures out who their customers are going to be very quickly. Sometimes it takes years. Maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. It was really a process of iteration and triangulation, but we had an underlying hypothesis early on, really based on, you know, some research we had done, some customer interviews. But just to take you all back a little bit to the early 2010s period, and even today, some of this still exists, but you actually have about 6 million businesses that are employers in the United States. And let's just start with the US as a market. This pain point obviously exists around the world in many different countries, but I'll use the US as kind of a case study since that's where we've started and have been focused although we've also started expanding outside the U.S. as well. So within the U.S., you have 6 million employers. And when you look at things like payroll, which is something that's required, right? The heart of payroll is making sure you're compliant from taxes, local, state, federal, filings, reporting, requirements, lens, and also living money, making sure that people get paid so they can go live their lives. You actually add a very, very fragmented market. And so, you know, even though you had some big incumbent folks out there with, you know, market caps with tens of billions of dollars, when you look at the smaller business end of the spectrum, we found that a lot of folks were doing it by hand, manually, on pen and paper, making mistakes, getting fined. Augusta was started by three co-founders. Two of my co-founders, their families ran small businesses, and they literally experienced this themselves. And my mother-in-law ran payroll as well and experienced this herself. So for us early on, we wanted to make sure we were tackling a pain point that was mainstream. And so that initial set of customers, outside of, you know, the 10 or 15 folks that we're happy to help who we know or live near us. We really wanted it to be folks we didn't know, folks that were not in Silicon Valley, folks that were spread out, at least at that point, across California. Because when we launched live in December 2012, we were available across California. And then once we started getting some inbound interest, we had really high word of mouth, good referral rates. We had high NPS. People loved the product. It was easy to use. It was simple. They didn't have to be an expert. Then that flywheel started spinning. And that's kind of the early, early part of our journey. So today, I know for a fact, a lot of tech startups use Gusto, and I'm sure that has been part of the company story for a long time. But you're saying 
that wasn't necessarily your strategy. You wanted to go after non-tech SMBs. How did you, because an SMB is a very wide range. How did you figure out, you know, and actually, candidly, I spoke to Arjun Sethi, who's one of your investors, and, you know, his suggestion was, you know, how did you think about, you know, where do you target, you know, within that spectrum of SMBs? Yeah, someone told me once a long time ago, we say the word SMB, which itself is an acronym for small and medium-sized business, but the reality is it's 3,000 sub-verticals or sub-markets. And I agree with that, you know, directionally, you have different geographic cuts, you have obviously different industry cuts. And I mentioned earlier the 6 million employers, you know, over 98% are less than 100 employees and over 50% are less than five employees. So, you know, Again, let that settle in. Over half of the businesses are less than five employees. And so, you know, we all interact with these businesses in our daily lives, and they're obviously very different. There's a lot of different dimensions to them. So one thing we did decide, though, was we wanted to prove out, you know, we could take a more horizontal approach to the market. And given these are smaller businesses, you make less revenue per customer, it had to be an inbound organic-driven acquisition engine. We actually didn't do really any paid acquisition until about a year after launching. So honestly, the the main thing we were trying to prove out very early on when we were three, four, five people was have we built a really amazing product that was so easy to use and accurate and compliant as well, such that people would want to tell others about it. And so that word of mouth, that referral, we did some stuff with content, with PR. We definitely wanted to drive top of funnel, but we had to have it be more of a self-serve, more of a, again, you know, easy to onboard, easy to set up. We used to say, you know, anyone can set up payroll, at least at that point. I think I was really anchored on like any any demographic, any background. So I would say to folks in recruiting, like I want my grandma to be able to set up and you know run payroll on. At that point, her name was on payroll without needing a book or a training manual or anything else in that vein. And obviously, if these folks did have questions, they could call us, talk to us. We're going to give them a great experience. But it had to be this very very intuitive, easy to use experience. So we're making a bet on really three technologies. And two big go-to-market changes. The three big technologies were cloud, mobile, paperless. We didn't invent those, but they enabled us to make a dramatically easier-to-use product. And then the two big go-to-market changes were, you know, obviously the the advent of you know search and, and social. So the actual ability for folks to go do customer acquisition in a digital way sounds very table stakes today. But you go back to our origin and you look at some of our incumbents. They were mostly doing outbound, higher-touch go-to-market, and that meant. For SMB, they were just mostly leaving that segment alone because it wasn't a great segment to serve historically. We're going to talk about the growth and new strategies today, but you, you talk about three co-founders. You know, tell us about the the origin story. How how did you all meet? And I know that your your why is very very important. Yeah, I think the why that's that's my favorite question, by the way. Whether it's in interviews or in discussing important topics in business or in life, yeah, the why. Right, get into why. You know, making sure that there's intentionality and hypothesis, that there's a rationale, a thought process behind it. Doesn't mean anyone's ever perfect. We're definitely not perfect, but it gives us a chance to have conviction and belief in why we're doing something versus just doing it for the sake of it. So yeah, back to kind of the early days. Gusto was started by yeah, three co-founders, Tomer, Eddie, and myself. You know, we all, as a fun coincidence, were electrical engineering kind of graduates back in the day. We're all technically, you know, PhD dropouts, but obviously we've, we've come on a different journey from those electrical engineering foundations. I would say the learning from that is we like complex systems. We like kind of deconstructing things that are very 
like puzzles and, and we all like math, I guess, totally other interesting takeaway from that. But the other coincidence is that we had all, as I alluded to earlier, had family who had run small businesses. We had had exposure to this journey. Tomer grew up in Israel. His dad had run a small clothing store. He had spent time as a child working in that store. And the first software he ever wrote was to help him do some supply chain and inventory management rather stuff with his dad. Eddie, my other co-founder, grew up with his dad being a doctor, his mom helping to kind of do all the back office. He had witnessed her literally doing payroll on the kitchen table for many years. And then I mentioned earlier, my mother-in-law had done payroll. So we came together because we wanted to tackle a big pain point. We wanted to tackle something we could see ourselves spending decades trying to make better. I really don't believe companies exist for the sake of it. We exist to fix something, something that's broken, something that's unnecessarily painful, something that could be made better. And again, you know, that was the the early genesis. That's also how we became aware of this pain point. We also had run, I should have mentioned, our own startups prior prior to the journey with Gusto. We each had uh, separate companies, but in that journey, we had all used. I literally set up another payroll system. I had done state tax registration. I had done health insurance enrollment. So those are some of the ingredients that helped us be aware of there being something broken and painful here around how teams are built, how people. Uh, are the core of every business. And then we you know, obviously got excited to start building. We're all writing code at that point because if you're not creating something useful for the customer, then it's just talk. Do you see yourself as providing payroll services or HR services? Or, you know, it sounds like there's more beyond that, right? I mean, cle- clearly there is. How, how is that the way you see yourself and Gusto evolve over time? And so I'd say the problem space that we really live and breathe is this connection between the employer and the employee, but also their individual journeys, the employer journey, the employee journey, which obviously have, you know, hopefully many year components to each. We call a product today the people platform. We think of it as a suite of you know, first party, third party apps that each solve specific pain points in the lives of our customers. So they can be homegrown, they could be again through partners. And we really think of our, our relationship with the customer as a partnership, right? That's, I think, one of the best ways to think of any SaaS business is you know, we deliver value. Payroll is a big piece of that. We're going to make sure all the taxes and filings are done correctly. Health insurance is a big piece of that. Benefits is a much broader topic than just health insurance. Tax credits is a piece of that. One of the apps that we have live in the product today that can put real money back in the hands of small businesses, you know. The broader world of, of compliance is obviously an important piece of that. How you build a team. So I really think of it as, you know, you have these these first order and second order dimensions to the problems we're tackling. You know, a first order pain point is, you know, paying someone. But a second order pain point is, you know, what should you pay them and when should it change? And so we're really focused on how to be the best possible partner we can be to our business customers. Mostly because they're smaller and they're not going to have budgets for large teams of people like a big company would. They're looking to Gusto to be their partner. And we do scale with companies. So we do have customers that are in the several hundred employee range. But just a reminder, again, over half of the employers in America are less than five employees. So we want to make sure that we are an incredible product for that audience. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of interesting things there you mentioned. When did you realize it was important? important to grow with your customers because, you know, the last thing you want is for them to, quote unquote, graduate into another provider. Yeah. Well, I'd say both are important. So, you know, we look at the several hundred thousand new businesses starting every year. We're still early, by the way, in that journey. So even though we made some progress, we're over 10 years in, 
We serve you know over 300,000 businesses. We still see, frankly, a small market share on almost every dimension of what we're doing, which is why I really believe we're still early in this journey. So we have teams at Gusto really obsessed and focused on how to go gain more and more market share with new employers, be the best solution for a company starting out and paying their first employee. And to your question, we have teams at Gusto really obsessed with how to be a great product, a great solution for people that are growing. They're already on Gusto. They want to stay on Gusto. And how do we make sure we stay uh, a great product with great product market fit for that audience? And there's, as you can imagine, uh, a set of different features, functionality, some things that become more less relevant as you get to bigger headcount. And you know, every year we get better and better at expanding that range of company sizes we can support. Uh, I do think it's important to be opinionated, though. You know, where do we draw the line for us? Geographically, we, we're probably going to come back to this, but we are still focused on the U.S.-based employer audience. We do see opportunity outside the country. Uh, but in the last few years, we've really dramatically increased our pace of investment in enabling U.S.-based employers to uh, hire, whether it be across the country, multi-state, or across the world, frankly, in many other countries, whether it be through contractor dynamics, EOR, employer of record dynamics, or even through payroll in the future. So yeah, lots of different dimensions here, prioritization that are very important. So Josh, I want to talk about two things, and you've mentioned one of these, and that's building a team. If I have it correctly, the team is at 2,500 people today or around there. So I want to get your, your thoughts on what has been your philosophy to scale the size of the team and then, you know, the approach you've had. And actually related to that is, you know, your, the job that you have now is very different than the job 11 years ago, five years ago, even three years ago. So, you know, let, let's talk a bit, a bit about that growth dynamic. Yeah, two great topics. So let's say on the team side, you know, the framework, the mental model that I really like that we follow and have followed since we were very small is that you know, believe, we believe, I believe that uh, companies don't force people or, or try to convince people to join and candidates don't persuade companies to hire them. It's, it's both parties trying to figure out, is there alignment for us to go do something incredible together? And so that alignment for us really falls in three dimensions. We have alignment around values, we have alignment around motivations, and we have alignment around skill set. And that really has been our our framework since the early, early days. I think the third one, skill set, is the one most folks jump to, and it's obviously very important. And depending on the role, we have different ways to evaluate. You know, we have a need, we have a specific thing we want to do more of or try new, and we want to go hire someone who has that specific skill set. And if you're an engineer, that means things like perhaps pair programming, if you're you know, content marketer, that means things like writing samples. But the first two are the ones I think that can be often overlooked in the company, especially when they're going through scaling and, and rapid headcount growth. And that's, again, values alignment, motivation alignment. So it's a team effort. You know, I used to do that interview and and you know, obviously that doesn't scale. So I probably interviewed the first 60, 70 folks at Gusto. And then we created a program where we have folks that get, we have a kind of shadowing process and a a peer training model where we actually have gusties. That's what we call ourselves. We have about 2,500 gusties on the team that become, uh, if they raise their hand, a part of this interview process. And so that's a little bit on, on hiring. Now, obviously, that's just one moment in time. When we think about the broader employee journey. You know, why do we have a need? That predates even hiring. Like, what is the thing we want to do more of? I just talked a bit about hiring itself. But then you have, obviously, onboarding. And then you have the ongoing, you know, manager. We call managers at Gusto. We call the whole concept people empowerment or PEs, people empowerers. 
But that's basically obviously an important key stakeholder. We have the one-on-ones and the feedback loop from that, how you do performance evaluation, how you reward and show appreciation to folks. So that's just been, again, something we've tried to be intentional about. Definitely not perfect. Always trying to learn and always trying to be driven by our values in terms of our approach to that topic. And Josh, on hiring, on value alignment, I'm guessing there's no silver bullet to measure that, but have you found any approaches that really help you identify before you bring someone on board? Yeah. And I know there's a lot of founders or aspiring founders in the audience. I'd say, first off, you know, some comments on values. I definitely think values are a byproduct of, of kind of the way one lives, works, who they've spent time with, what they believe in. But really, very importantly here, there isn't right raw values. I don't think if someone doesn't share gusto values, they're a bad person. This means they would be more successful in a different company. And, you know, I also don't believe people have, you know, separate personal professional values. You just have your values. And so to give some meat on the bone for what we have as our values, you know, service mindset, for example, right? People that derive a tremendous amount of joy from helping others. That's a spectrum topic. Some people are really far down that spectrum. Some don't have that as a big, important part of their life. That's okay. But if you're interested in Gusto, we're going to obviously evaluate pretty intentionally the service mindset show up in your life in meaningful ways because that's a part of how we operate day-to-day at Gusto. So that's just one example. So it mostly shows up in how we interview. And again, it's mostly a conversation. We kind of channel that why question quite a bit. And we're trying to suss out through demonstrated examples and really, again, more open-ended conversation. Is that alignment there? Sometimes we'll be in a chat. I'll be in a chat with someone where they themselves kind of realize uh, a misalignment. And that's actually a good takeaway. They still have a great experience interacting with Gusto because they realize that they would, again, probably be more successful in a different organization. So on this topic of values, we are really trying to find alignment. You know, service mindset is a big value at Gusto. And what we call ownership mentality is a big, big value at Gusto. I have a couple more I can go through, but uh, again, they mostly show up in how we hire in the company. Tell us how have you seen the role of CEO evolve? And not everyone is able to uh, adapt and adjust to, you know, the doubling of the size of the company and and all the dynamics that it involves. Yeah. So I think, you know, the role of of CEO, we use inside Gusto, uh, a title format really around head of. So inside Gusto, I'm the head of Gusto. And we try to be really descriptive on kind of what does each person lead? What are they responsible for? But, you know, as you alluded to, the roles changed a ton as a company grows. Every role has to keep changing. And, you know, I went through many phases of, of wearing many IC hats to then running specific teams to a big part of my job today is to make sure we have the right leaders in various areas and then making sure that we're, you know, moving in the same direction in terms of common goals. So you know, this will be a little bit of acronym soup here and I try to avoid acronyms, but and a company of our stage and scale, like OKRs, right? Setting very clear goals, having key measurable ways to see are we on track or off track, you know, QBRs, MBRs, having make you know, quarterly business reviews, monthly business reviews. We really want to decentralize. One of my goals is to give leaders at Gusto the flexibility, the autonomy to go charge forward with their specific area and their specific ownership and responsibility. But we have to make sure that we're also moving in a direction that makes sense and not in oppositional directions. And so that's a little bit of where I'm at today in terms of my role. What's the common thread is, you know, definitely lots of focus on team, talent, hiring, and people. And, you know, why why I think I enjoy it. You know, I didn't know this when we started the company and I wouldn't have known it until I got into this place. But, you know, solving complex problems, these kind of system-centric problems are really fun. You know, it could be related to pricing, could be related to 
you know, org design could be related to product development process could be related to, you know, how we interact and collaborate as a team. These are all very different types of problem spaces, but it's kind of fun to, to really be across them. And then know that we have people on the team who are, are subject matter experts in each of these areas who I can work with really closely. I can hear the engineer in you talk. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, switching gears a little bit, a strategy you launched two years ago was to go out and partner with businesses and embed your products that you have built over the last decade. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be not a foreign concept to a lot of the listeners, embedded finance, embedded fintech as older age. But, you know, fast forward two years, you have some pretty meaningful results to show for it. And tell us about when you started kind of realizing that embedded was a strategy worth pursuing and what have you learned post-launch? Yeah, Gusto Embedded is something that's a really big part of our strategy, something I'm really excited about, kind of making it really simple. What we decided was, you know, there's going to be small, medium-sized businesses that are going to be a great fit to come to Gusto.com, sign up, and use the people platform directly. But there is this whole world out there of other platforms, whether they be vertical SaaS platforms, horizontal platforms, etc., that already have incredible communities of SMBs inside of them. And when you look at that customer experience with that in SMB, what would be ideal for them? Having more of these apps, more of these experiences inside where they already are spending time is really a better experience for them versus having to jump around between different systems. And so we have been talking to a lot of these other platforms for many years. Many had partnered with Gusto, but it was mostly a distribution relationship, right? So kind of a lightweight, you know, we refer you, you refer us type thing. And so what we decided a few years ago was to actually enable, and we're starting with payroll, but we're going to be doing this for more apps, the ability for these other platforms to launch their own payroll products powered by Gusto. And to your point, this isn't a brand new concept by any stretch. We talked about other FinSec products as being a great reference point for this business model and this dynamic. You know, Stripe most famously, I think, is a great example of an embedded tech product. But yeah, we, we kind of decided we're going to take this 10 years plus of infrastructure that's processed, you know, hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars of payroll. And we're going to make it obviously with a lot of compliance and a lot of review accessible to, to key partners who will then enable us and enable them to reach more small and medium sized businesses. So a recent kind of big milestone moment for us was announcing one of those partners. We love all of our partners and they all have different you know, focus areas and different strengths. But the one you might be thinking of, Chase Payment Solutions, we're working with directly. They're going to be launching their own, again, payroll product powered by Gusto. But we have now a couple dozen partners. You can come to our Gusto embedded website if anyone's interested. Anyone serving SMBs and wants to go launch payroll products and, again, not have to build it entirely from scratch, um, we're giving you the best possible infrastructure to do that. Yeah, congrats on that Chase partnership. Some are calling it probably the biggest embedded fintech deal to date. But of course, I'm sure it took years of planning, negotiating, hiring out details. For fintechs who are considering pursuing a similar strategy, you know, for their own products, be it lending, any anything else, what do you think has been especially important for your embedded strategy to work? 
I think, you know, we didn't also invent this, this path. I think it can be trickier if it's kind of all the company is doing from their beginnings. But you have such a great reference point out there with AWS of, yeah, I wasn't there, but I'll paraphrase. I think everyone knows this story. You know, taking an infrastructure and architecture, something that was powering Amazon, that gave it credibility, that gave it a ton of volume usage. So it wasn't, you know, the, the classic pitfall of a startup you know, that hadn't yet proven that security and compliance, but then flipping it on its head and saying, now we're going to go actually run it as a separate product entirely. And and the beauty of productizing infrastructure, which is what we obviously are doing too, is it it even adds more resiliency and more more obsession with making sure that that, that infrastructure can scale. And so, you know, I guess to think about advice for fintech more broadly, you know, it starts fundamentally with, is there an end user customer need, right? None of it would make sense or work for Gusto if the small businesses out there, the medium-sized businesses out there weren't in pain on some of the things we know we can help them with. And if these partner companies that are working with us on Gusto Embedded didn't have an established relationship with them, and then again, the value prop there is companies always have to choose, no matter what size you are, do you build from scratch? You know, do you partner or do you do something in between? And I really think this future built around APIs and embedded products is so bright because it is such a better experience for the customer versus just lightweight integrations and, and referral relationships. But it has to be done intentionally. And obviously with the partner like like Chase Payment Solutions, the uh, the focus on making sure that it's done in a compliant, accurate, efficient uh, but also reliable way was a huge, huge part of, of why they chose Gusto. Yeah, I think it also validates the strategy of a lot of companies that are building to help banks kind of modernize their stack. Along the way, are there any specific tools or maybe have you been intentional about surrounding yourself with mentors, people who have been there? You know, Is there anything that comes to mind related to that? On the topic of mentorship, and then I can get into some specifics, I really think every interaction we have, whether it's with you know a customer, an advisor, a board member, an investor, a small business owner, all of that is input, and there's learnings and lessons to be garnered from every one of those interactions. So I sometimes get asked, you know, who's had the biggest impact? And, and at least for me, the reality is viewing every interaction as a moment of, of potential wisdom has been more important to me than thinking I'm going to kind of get the the one make or break it piece of advice from any one location. So, you know, in the same vein, I hope some of the things I'm sharing are useful to folks, but definitely know that every business, every person's on a different journey and you have to figure out yourself what resonates and what aligns. No one's going to give you the actual path. But to, to the heart of your question, some people I'm really very grateful for and appreciative of are our angel investors. We had a set of operators, people that were building their own companies who invested in Gusto early on. The reality is I would have probably given these folks money to, you know, talk to and get advice. Instead, they gave me money, which was, and obviously gave Gusto money. It's still a surreal dynamic. Uh, but they really were interested in, in this pain point being solved. These are folks that I really think, again, because they had built their own businesses, they really wanted there to be a solution out there that could actually solve and make this complex dynamic of, of building a team and staying compliant and helping people go do their best work, make it better. And so those are folks I really leaned on early on quite a bit. At this stage, you know, we have a bunch of amazing independent board members in the company. Those are folks I lean on quite a bit as well. And, you know, I still go to my parents for some advice too, frankly. 
Josh, I want to talk a bit about 2021. It seems like it was a, a very important year for Gusto because from what I've seen or read, you launched your embedded strategy. You acquired three companies. I think you also, around that time, you launched uh, payroll, advanced lending. So, you know, sounds like this was a very important year. Zooming in on, on the acquisitions, I believe it's three companies, Symmetry, RDUs, Remote Team. What did you learn? Bringing a new team, new technology, that's a challenge, of course. How have you made it work? Yeah, and so it's a, and we can get into the broader forces at play in 21, obviously, and you didn't mention what we were all experiencing, which was the pandemic. And then there were so many interesting things happening to entrepreneurship and new business formation. So yeah, really, really fascinating time period. I think that we're all going to be evaluating and learning from for many years to come. But to the M&A topic, you know, probably the catalyst most of all was, you know, company was about 10 years in. We had, I think, done a lot of work in building muscle around building and partnering. And frankly, we want to keep doing a lot of building and partnering. That's going to be the majority of our focus and the team going forward. But we looked around and said, hey, you know, from a buying lens, this can be a way for us to even get further down the path of key product and application expansion, right? Knowing that there's more pain points our customers want us to help with. And, you know, sometimes you know, there's that default to, hey, we can build this ourselves. But if there's a way to bring a great team in and accelerate that, collapse time is kind of one way I think about it and, and deliver more value more quickly, then that's potentially an interesting thing to do. You know, we say no, probably, you know, 10 times more than we say yes when it comes to evaluating various opportunities. And I think that's probably the right ratio given how much this could also be a distraction. But each of the companies you just mentioned, there was a different thesis at stake. And in terms of how it's going, I mean, these are some amazing folks that are now part of Gusto. We've built those teams quite a bit since then. I mentioned earlier, tax credits, you know, that's what got jump-started and accelerated. Ardeus was the company that had been doing that with some amazing experts for a number of years. And now that's a much more meaningful part of, of the Gusto platform. So I do think M&A, you know, like I alluded to, can be two things. It can be both really, really, I think, special and, and important done in an intentional way. And it can be a big distraction. So I think maybe the takeaway for the audience should be just to make sure you're going in eyes wide open to the topic. I'm really grateful for those teammates joining Gusto. We'll be doing more M&A in the future, but we're going to continue to have that mindset as we go through it. You mentioned the pandemic, hard to ignore. How did you live the pandemic at Gusto. I mean, you probably had central visibility how how this was affecting small businesses. Yeah. I mean, it was, I would say, you know, day zero, day one was obviously very much focused on guesties, making sure they're safe and, you know, following local ordinances and able to be at home and productive, but also, you know, with family and in a, in a stable situation. Once we got through that, you know, frankly, the, the biggest thing I saw across the company, and it wasn't in retrospect a big surprise given the approach we had to hiring and finding very service-centric, service-driven, service-mindset-obsessed people, is really this was a galvanizing moment to help small and medium-sized businesses in their time of need. And so, you know, our product does that every day, right? I mean, so it wasn't necessarily a lot of new product I'll get to some of the things we added, but in the moment, it was just making sure, you know, all the things we do are done even more efficiently, more quickly, because every moment mattered for a lot of these businesses. Obviously, some businesses affected more than others. You know, some businesses had their entire revenue stream get, you know, vacuumed up because of, of shutdowns. 
And then the product work we did was really focused on top of our core uh, around making sure that people could access and benefit from and connect to and be aware of the various different local, state, federal programs being put in place, a lot of which depended on payroll data in terms of employment continuity. So that was kind of, I would say, the, the heart of 2021 for us. From a data lens, we did see, and I think this is now fairly public, something that we didn't expect and ultimately you know, we're excited about and I think is a good message. We saw a lot of new business formation that year, which was, I think, a surprise to a lot of folks. So a lot of folks starting new businesses. And since that's one of the areas that we focus, it led to a lot of growth on our side. You, we, we've briefly talked about international strategy. I'm guessing this became more evident also during the pandemic as in many occasions, it became evident that people were moving abroad or going to different places to work for U.S. companies. How did your thinking evolve specifically for international expansion as remote work became more prevalent? You know, as you alluded to, it was something that was there already, but I would say definitely got accelerated. And there was two dimensions to it. If you think about it, first and foremost, it's it's just geographic. Geographic flexibility is the main thing. So even just within the US, which is a fairly large country, and the 50 states have very different requirements, more companies on Gusto in multiple states was one thing that became very, very visible. And then in addition to that, obviously, people now having teams outside the US. And so you know, we, we frankly just accelerated our work there. And you know, today we support international contractor payments in over 100 countries. On the employer of record side, we obviously want to be moving quickly there. We are partnering. So remote.com is a company that has an equal passion for compliance and is in 80 plus countries today. And so for our customers, it'll be a seamless experience all from one dashboard, the ability to hire contractors, employees, et cetera. We're beginning with Canada on that EOR relationship, but do plan and are excited to be in many more countries in the not too distant future. So definitely, you know, customer feedback is a big part of how we think about product prioritization and roadmap. And yeah, you know, the feedback was pretty vocal in wanting that type of functionality inside Gusto. Something comes to mind, Josh. You mentioned obviously compliance is at the heart of what you do. Each state, country is gonna have their own regulation around how you interpret taxes, how you interpret types of companies. So I'm guessing the customer is not necessarily always right, right? In, in your industry, right? Like, how does that dynamic work when you think it's a certain way, the customer thinks a different way? I'm sure you think about this a lot. Yeah. Well, I would say maybe to deconstruct it for a sec, you know, when it comes to compliance, I think, which is the heart of your question, frankly, the audience, the entity that matters most is the government agency, <laughs> They're the ones creating the rules and it's our job. And I think, frankly, the employer wants it just as much as we do. They're the ones you know, choosing us to help them with it, to make sure that we're following those rules. And it's as simple as that, right? And these aren't typically very open to interpretation concepts. They're very complicated. You have many of them, right? The US is more like 50 countries in many ways, but you have over 10,000 different payroll tax rules across this country. A lot of that ties to how the country was formed and, and states' rights. And then frankly, a lot of local governments being funded through payroll taxes. So there's just a lot of different things happening, again, at the local, state, federal level, and not just on the payment side and taxes side, but also on the filings and reporting side. And so I would say maybe this part is a little bit simpler. You know, our customers would love for us to abstract and simplify all of that stuff because it's important. It's definitely necessary, but it's not how they stand out. It's not what makes them 
a, a better business in terms of getting new customers or attracting great teammates. So we put all of that in, in a pillar of our mission that we call peace of mind. And one of my favorite emails we send customers is an email that says, you know, here's all the things you need to do this quarter. We did it all for you. Have a great day, right? And you can imagine that leads to a pretty good sentiment from our customer. Now, another big pillar for us though is enabling, you know, great places to work. And we really do want to do more than simply the peace of mind bucket. I think that's an important foundation, but really truly we find from a lot of our small and medium-sized businesses, they really want help with these more complicated topics. So compliance needs to get done right. And that's that's a big, big, you know, foundational concept. But you know, who should be joining the team and what should we be paying them and what benefits philosophy should I have and how should I do the budgeting? What should I plan for over the coming years in terms of changes underway when it comes to employment or benefits and you know, again, for many businesses, people are the biggest expense they have. And so this is a worthwhile topic to spend time on because it can lead to better productivity, better performance, people staying in your company longer. And anyone out there that's a founder or running a business knows whether it's a tech company or a mainstream, small, medium-sized business that people are the foundation of everything we do. So that's, again, an area that we spend a lot of time as well. You were talking about how you still see your journey as being very, very early right now. And it kind of reminds me to something that David Vélez, the CEO founder of New Bank, says. He says they're on minute one of a 90-minute soccer match or, or football match or Latin American roots. But you already built a lot. I mean, last year you crossed half a billion in annual revenue. So how do you keep that balance of celebrating your wins, your progress, but also, you know, keeping in mind that this is still early. Yeah, I think, I mean, the reality is both can coexist, right? I am really grateful to the teammates who have joined Gusto. I am really grateful to the customers that have entrusted us with really important parts of, of enabling their business to be successful. And that is something to not just acknowledge, but to celebrate, right? And there are milestones in the company. There are typically less around financial milestones. That was something we were comfortable sharing, mostly just to to highlight the scale Gusto is operating at. But frankly, we'll always be more drawn to milestones around the number of businesses we're serving, the number of lives, number of people that we're actually impacting. Uh, but those are, you know, big, important milestones to acknowledge because a lot of hard work from a lot of people goes into reaching them. Now, on the flip side, I think it's just a, a very logical, almost, you know, factual statement to say we are early when it comes to market share. We are early when it comes to wallet share. There are a lot of businesses out there that are still getting fined and penalized for incorrectly doing things like payroll by hand. There are a lot of businesses out there that I believe truly could benefit if they were on Gusto. They would be much more successful and effective businesses. And so, you know, it's just a way of saying that we're not done. There's so much more to do. And, you know, prioritization is super critical as well. But, you know, to me, again, it's 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 kind of more my natural preference, frankly. I, I do, whenever we're talking about, you know, milestones, want to pay respect to that. But I, I spend a lot more time and I'm much, much more drawn to the eagerness and the, you know, at times impatience of all the things I know we can and could and should be doing going forward. And that's, that's where I'm focused. So, Josh, I have two more questions, short ones for you before we run out of time. Is there a story behind the little piggy? in your floating <laughs> page because I, I really like that mascot. 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, it, that's a great example of something that happens organically. I wasn't involved in that. You know, it was one of our early designers. And I think for us, you know, frankly, it is really important that when it comes to things like taxes and compliance, we're doing it very, very accurately, reliably. Obviously, we're now doing it at very massive scale. But we also have a really strong belief that software and, and Gusto specifically is not just a transactional tool. You know, we are, we're here to be your partner. We're here to be human. We actually have humans where when you call us, chat with us, email us, we're here to help. And so I think part of it, you know, for that teammate was about bringing that mindset into the app. And you know, the exact early first usage of Penny the Pig, which I think is you know, is the animation you're referring to, it was really just our, it was our loading graphic, right? You know, when you have loading for run payroll, for example, and even that's actually a funny story now that I think about it. When we had the run payroll flow and it just was click and it said done back in 2012, we had customers, small businesses tell us, you know, it happened too fast. I think there's a bug in your system. So the the funny story is we added a loading graphic that was not necessary. It was just to create time gap such that there was more of this reassurance for those that cared for a very, very small brief split second that something was happening behind the scenes. But obviously with, with cloud and with all the different technologies I was alluding to earlier, the reality is it can and should be that fast, that easy, that simple. And that was a big part of you know what we were trying to build at Gusto, frankly, and still is. Yeah, I love it. And now that I'm guessing now it's the official mascot of Gusto. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> trust me, there there is if we are very committed. There are no plans to remove Penny from the app. But a number of people <laughs> that have told me if we ever did, they would like come to my house and knock on the door or something. Customers, I think, would be emotionally very very unhappy. <laughs> so we, we we love Penny. There's no plans to remove Penny. She's a, a key part of our personality. And you know, grateful for all this. Always, always, whenever customers share their feedback and sentiment, good or bad, we, we always love hearing from customers. And I have uh, one final question. I, I went to your Twitter account and I noticed you only follow one account. And surprise, surprise, it's Gusto. So I know you are laser focused on, on Gusto. That, that's what that tells me. You know, but I'm sure you have some other interests outside of, of Gusto. You know, maybe you could share one or two. Yeah, for sure. No. I, from a social media lens, I do consume lots of content and I obviously love, well, I love reading a lot, whether it be long form, short form, tech centric or totally non tech centric. I just don't do a lot of publishing personally. And when I do, it's actually more in this format, just to spend a second here. You know, both of my parents were teachers. My dad was a high school teacher. My mom was an elementary school teacher. Uh, we were talking earlier, you know, my mom is an immigrant from Bolivia, came to the States, really created a whole new life for herself. My Dad, you know, moved out west from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where his family had all worked in the steel and, and brick factories. And so I'm really grateful to them. And when I think about my opportunity to share advice, I try to channel my inner teacher, which I think is, you know, at least for me, done better, more in, in a wide, more conversational setting. But in terms of uh, things I care about, well, family, we have two young kids and, and twins on their way due in a couple of weeks, frankly. So we're going to have four under five. That'll be a big adventure. Congrats. I love running. I love I love outdoors and hiking. Anything in nature is a big kind of uh, you know, peaceful and, and wonderfully meditative place for me to spend time. So those are just some of the things that matter to me in life. So Josh, thanks for being a, an example to the tech community I guess also to the Latino community, and, and this has been an amazing conversation, a lot of things to entangle for people to learn. So thank you again, and congrats, and, and on to even bigger 
and bolder goals. Ah, well, thank you again. Congrats for you reaching this milestone of 100 episodes. And yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. Excited with all the future that's to come. I think tech can be and, and will continue to be a force for solving more pain points and problems in the world. FinTech obviously is that this incredible connection point between tech and finance and such a foundational part of how our society functions. So yeah, we're, we're thrilled to be a part of this community. And again, thank you for the uh, invitation. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this great episode with Josh Reeves, CEO of Gusto. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. And if you have any suggestions or thoughts about the show, just drop me a line on Twitter or LinkedIn. Signing off, till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. <laughs>